Hello, left fielders. Welcome to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. Our community is focused on networking and education to help people invest passively and think differently. Let's go. What I essentially ended up talking to him about was what you just said. As I said, you know, there are times when your niche will find you, and it might not be what you expect, but you'll just connect up with just the right person, and that'll give you the the excitement and the, the want to to go learn about that niche. It'll give you some purpose. You know, when you really, if you're just searching for something, you know, real estate's fun, but it's not near as exciting as going on vacation or hanging out with cool people. Since you are here listening to this podcast, there's a good chance you're investing with a group of people. Whether you're investing with family or friends or like-minded people in the left field investors community, group investing is a strategy that can get you into more deals, help you diversify, and go beyond what you can achieve by yourself. Before TribeVest came along, it was difficult to overcome all the hurdles associated with group investing. It was basically a strategy reserved for the wealthy, not anymore. Now, TribeVest helps your group with everything from incorporation, collaboration, banking, and equity management tools all in a single place, so you can focus on building wealth with the people you know, like, and trust. I'm using TribeVest for all five, now six, of my investor tribes. It's a game changer. Check them out at TribeVest.com. You are listening to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast, powered by TribeVest. The mission of Left Field Investors is to build a community of like-minded individuals interested in creating financial freedom through passively investing in real assets that generate real cash flow. In this podcast, Jim Piper will interview passive investors, syndicators, and others who will share their journey with a focus on helping the passive real estate investor learn and become part of the Left Field community. This is Dan Hanford from PassiveInvesting.com, and you're listening to Passive Investing from Left Field Podcast. I'm really pleased today to have Tom Burns with us. He is the co-founder of Presario Ventures, a private real estate firm focused on investing in multifamily real estate. He's also a physician and author of Why Doctors Don't Get Rich. He has a mastermind called the Rich Life Accelerator. We're really pleased to have him. Tom, welcome to the Passive Investing from Left Field Podcast. Thanks, Jim. Thanks for having me. So the first thing we do here is is we'd like to hear your journey. I know you have a cool journey from being a doctor to now, you know, focusing on real estate. So can you take us back and tell us kind of how you got here and what the journey was like? All right. Well, I'll I'll give it to you. Take you back farther than you want, but I'll keep it short. You know, I started life as a guy who was reasonably good at school and had good hand-eye coordination. Thought I was going to be an athlete. But, you know, I I got the tap on the shoulder that there's various levels of good and I wasn't going to be making my money playing sports. So I decided to become an orthopedic surgeon and a sports specialist so I could hang out with the athletes that I was used to hanging around with. So I went to med school, got into orthopedics. And when you go into orthopedics, there's a five-year period where you're trained by other doctors how to do how to do that. And I was just following my path. And I started watching the docs ahead of me. And you know they're 20 or 30 years older, and that's the people you're supposed to be in 20 or 30 years, right? I watched them, and they were not necessarily as happy as I thought they were. They were making money, but they were in the hospital at night, 10, 11 o'clock at night, when I had to be there, but I don't think they had to be there. Some of them were on second, third marriages. They just didn't seem to be happy. They talked about being trapped, and that happened enough times that I thought to myself, you know, maybe I ought to have something that's not correlated to medicine. 
something that brings in a little income. Uh, I didn't know what it was going to be, had no training, looked at stocks, looked at going into administration, found out I wasn't employable and didn't have any money or time for stocks or to run a business, landed on real estate. Real estate moves slow. You don't have to be first in. You don't have to time it perfectly. I could do it with partners. I could do it by myself, part-time, full-time. And so I just started reading everything I could, going to seminar. This was before Al Gore invented the internet, so I didn't have any of that stuff to work with. I just got information where I could. And eventually I, you know, I started, I got back to my hometown of Austin, Texas and thought that I'd continue with this real estate thing. And once, once the timing was right, I just bought something and I didn't know anything. I, I, I just didn't know anything. I kind of worked the numbers on a napkin. The, the manager of the property helped me find an appraiser and inspectors and things like that. I didn't know how to get loans. I called some bankers I knew. So it was all just a fumble. And it took quite a while, but got it done. And when it was all finished, based on all the numbers, I was collected at 100 or $200 a month without having to see patients, without having to do surgery. And that became an addiction. And I really enjoyed that. I thought, wow, if I could do this with one, maybe I could do it with two. So the second one was a little bit easier. Third one was much easier. Got so good at that particular market that, you know, at one point I bought one side unseen because I knew I was going to make money on it. Got pretty good at that. Bought a few things. About along that time, I read a book by Kiyosaki that called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And he had that diagram, income statement and balance sheet, right? And on the bottom, on the left side was the asset box. And, I, and the asset box put money up in the income section. And I saw that graphically, and I knew that that's what I was looking for was passive income. And I, did, I decided I was going to put my business plan was to put anything I could in that box. I didn't care if it was real estate or anything else. That's what I did. I put in as much as I could, reached a point where I felt like I was hitting the ceiling and had a friend who was a developer. And I said, look, I, I like what you do. Will you teach me? He looked at me and he said, you're a rich doctor. You don't need to know this stuff. I said, well, I'd like to know anyway. I worked for him for about three years, excuse me, about 18 months for free. That morphed into a rather large project that we still own today. At one point, I was speaking on stage for Kiyosaki in 2001, I think it was, and he introduced me as being from Austin, Texas. Somebody in the audience came up and introduced themselves. They were from California, moving to Austin. Long story short, after six or seven years, that, that person became my partner, who's my current partner in my private equity real estate firm. So... You never know where life's going to take you. So it, it just was somebody without, I didn't have a network. I didn't have money, business degree, experience, any of that. Just got in there, started asking people smarter than me how they got there. I had worked with partners who I feel were probably smarter than me as well and uh, tried to work as a team player. And, you know, the numbers just got bigger and the zero started adding on. And now we do relatively large projects and I hope to continue to learn. I'm always a continuous learner, so I'm always still learning. That's kind of got us to today. That's a great story. You did leave something out that I'd like to go back to is the relationship with Kiyosaki because, you know, in your book, you describe how you were basically the, the one that bought the first book. And so I'd like to hear that story, but also he wasn't as famous or well-known back then. So you just read a book from some random guy who he was at the time. How did that give you the confidence to know that real estate was the right way to go and that you were on the right track? Sure. Uh, story was I was I was at home alone. My my wife and kids were up visiting grandparents up in Dallas. So when they're gone, I do errands and it was hot. My truck was dirty. So I went to get the truck washed and I went in to pay my bill at the car wash. And there on the back shelf was a 
haphazard set of books with a handwritten sign that said books for sale. And I could see it from a distance. It said rich something. And so let me see one of those. And it said rich dad, poor dad, uh, what the poor and middle class, what the rich teach their kids about money, the poor and middle class do not. I thought that's a pretty bold statement. And anybody can make that, you know, I'm in because I was reading books like that. I was reading everything I could get my hands on at the time. I took it home, did the rest of my errands, threw it on my desk in my office. About 1130 at night, I walked past and just flipped the page just to see what I was going to read one day. Kind of like that first page, read a few more pages. And four hours later, I was done with the book. Didn't have anybody to tell at 330 in the morning. Gave it to a friend, said it's the best business book I've ever read in my life. We called the publisher to find out who this Kiyosaki guy was because nobody ever heard of him. When we called the publisher, Kiyosaki answered the phone because it was a self-published book. And and it turns out that this was the first two dozen books. He had sold zero books, and he sent them over to his buddy in Austin to sell books. And the, the one I bought was the first one. And I had subsequently gone back and bought all the rest of the books and given them out to friends. So we went to visit Robert. He taught us how to play cash flow. He gave me some more books, which I handed out to folks. And we just became friends then and kind of introduced him to some other networks. And over time, he was speaking to large groups. Oprah caught wind of it. And he says that as soon as he went on Oprah, he went from nobody to famous. And that was, I think, about 44 million books ago. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing, that story, because, you know, as you know, he, he's so well known now and you kind of knew him uh, at the beginning. But what about that? And, and so many people have that book as their entry point, right, to real estate. So why is that? And, and what was so powerful about that book to you that you were handing it out to friends and you bought out the store and, and you not only that, you called the publisher? I mean, it must have had a huge impact on you. I've never seen a book like it was. I mean, it's basically a mindset book. You know, he's not teaching you how to flip houses or buy apartments or buy a self-storage or, you know, start a business. It was how to think about money and how to think about how it will affect your life. You know, money is, of course, not the only thing in life, but it's it's an important, it's the, it's the currency that buys your freedom. And I think all of us want to have control of our lives. And, you know, with some money, you can buy back your time. And with that time, you can control your environment to some degree. So we all want that. And I think maybe that's what people get out of that is they realize they can, you know, when you read something like that, you realize that with the right mindset and some action attached to that, you can create whatever future you like, or at least a better future than you have now. And so that's why it's still timeless. The principles are not, are not dated. You know, they're like physics. The, the principles don't change. So I think that's what I liked about it. It's how I modeled my book was pretty much try to be just about principles. And you know, although real estate based, it still talked about passive income. And you asked about the confidence. So you could just see that, you know, he, it doesn't sometimes doesn't take doesn't take a huge deal or 100 deals to create some meaningful passive income that can affect your life. You don't have to replace your income. That's a great goal. But if you just replace part of it, that's like partial financial freedom and buy some of your time back. Yeah, that's great. So we're talking about financial freedom. What exactly, and I know everybody has a different definition, but what do you call financial freedom? You know, the, you know of course, the one definition is to be able to do what you want, when you want, where you want, with who you want. You know, that's great. And actually, that's a really good definition. It's just, it's, it kind of takes that anxiety out of someone's mind about, you know, what's next or can't quote, can I afford this? Or will I be able to afford that? You know, can I take that time off? People feel trapped when they have to put their time in to make the money so that they can survive. That's not a bad thing. That's, that's the way a lot of life works. But it's a liberating feeling when you know that you don't necessarily have to 
worry about paying your bills. And that gives you the creativity to think about what's next. It gives you the ability to be comfortable about where you are. Maybe do nothing else. Maybe go, like I said in the book, go learn how to play the guitar, go learn Chinese. That's great. But if you want to grow your business further, it gives you the latitude, the freedom, and the time to be able to sit back and do things with some patience. So it's a lack of anxiety, I think, to be financially free and very liberating. Yeah, absolutely. And you talk a lot about that in your book. And the question is, you know, where do people go for this financial education, right? Because to be financially free, you also have to be financially educated. We don't get that in schools. We get marketed to by Wall Street. And so everyone thinks 401k and and stock market's the way to go. But how do people get this education and and understand, okay, here's how I get to that financial freedom? Because so many people are saving money, saving money, deferring their life so they can get to retirement. How do you get around that for the regular person or even a doctor like rich doctors like you talk about? Absolutely. There's a lot of people that make a lot of money that aren't very financially educated. And your education is your hedge against risk. You know, it's not an investment that's risky. It's it's the amount of education you have that'll hedge that risk for you. I mean, you can get it anywhere. I got it before the internet. You just, you talk to people that find anybody. It can, and that person can be 30 years younger than you are. But if they've been somewhere that you're not, ask them, how'd you get there? What do I do? Uh, there's books everywhere. You can assimilate a lot of things from books. Podcasts are awesome. Listen to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast, right? You're, that's what you're educating right now. So that's a start. You can get so far with education. You know, the best way to get educated is with some action because that's when you learn the most. You've got your mind and your skin in the game. So if you wanted to lay out a plan, read some books, listen to some podcasts, go to seminars and hang around people that are doing this. That's going to get you in touch with all the people that are where you want to be. And then if you want to hedge it more, either your first deal, do it small. If you wish, some will say, hey, why can't I go big first? And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that if you go big, your losses can be big too. It just depends on your risk tolerance and and your education level. But partner with somebody that's been there. Maybe you take a smaller piece, but you do a lot of work. The education you get is huge return on investment. And then over time, as you as you continue to do things, your education increases. You know, where do we learn? Unfortunately, where do we learn our best lessons, right? It's from our mistakes. So try to learn from somebody else's mistakes. And if you make them, try to make smaller mistakes. Hey, left fielders, this is Julian McClurkin. When I'm not on the court with the Harlem Globetrotters, I'm the chief storyteller for Tribe Vest. Now, you might be thinking, why would Tribe Vest hire a Globetrotter? <laughs> well, through my travels around the world, I've met so many amazing people and heard their incredible stories. And it's no different at Tribe Vest. My job is to share the stories of people investing together as a group, as a tribe. Tribe Vest allows groups to pool their capital, set up their LLCs and bank accounts, help with operating agreements, funding rounds, and so much more. Whether you're investing with other dads from your kid's preschool class or getting into real estate syndications with people around the country like LFI infielder Brian Pawnell, TribeVest helps them all make it happen. If you want to hear more about stories about TribeVest's customers, just check out TribeVest's YouTube channel. And if you're already ready to start investing as a group, head on over to TribeVest.com today. That is great advice. And, you know, I I keep circling back to the book because I I read it and I I was really compelled. It was just really good read. And one of the things you talk about is knowing the rules of the game and to educate yourself. And in order to do that, you mentioned a couple of them here. You said attend seminars, 
don't fear mistakes, learn to sell and grow your network. So you mentioned the seminars, but can you, especially the mistakes, people are so afraid to make mistakes, but can you talk about those four and how that helps you kind of know the rules of the game and, and really be effective? You bet. Cause you know, the rules are, you know, if you're talking some places like Wall Street, there's rules there too, and they're not necessarily in your favor. You want to know that you know people people out there to make money. They would be happy for you to make money, but if there's a choice of you or them making money, they're going to want to be the ones to make it. So you need to know that you need to watch watch yourself. Seminars, you know, I love books and podcasts. I like seminars because of the energy. There's just a difference between Zoom calls uh, or books and podcasts versus the energy you get from being with somebody. You can really. You can feel what kind of person they are. You can get a feel for their character. He's not always right, but that's you get to know people better. And so many small side side discussions. I believe in seminars. You learn a lot from the stage, but you learn the most from the people you end up talking to. That's where most of my ideas have come from. Most of my relationships, and it's there that you'll find you'll find a deal to invest in. You'll find investors for your deal. You'll find ideas of other things to, that you might invest in or, or explore and get educated about. You'll find out what you don't know because there's a lot. We don't know what we don't know. You and I both, there's a lot that you and I don't know we don't know. And so getting exposed uh, broadens your scope and gives you a chance to know what other options are out there. And the more options you have, the more chance you have to create the freedom that you really desire. Mistakes, you know, don't forget, I grew up as a doctor, right? You know, we're not allowed to make five incisions and see which one works. We're supposed to, you know, so <laughs> we've really kind of got to know where it is. And so transparently, I'll tell you, I, I had to beat that out of me because we don't like mistakes. And so it was a journey for me. And I'm always obviously still working on it, but got to not be afraid of them. There's a book, oh, I'm blanking on the author, but The Obstacle is the Way is the title of the book. And it basically says it's not not only are obstacles okay, you need to go, you almost need to search for speed bumps, roadblocks, obstacles, because that's where you're going to learn your most. And that's where you're going to define your character. So I truly have learned the most from my mistakes. Some of them have been big and some have been small. I try to learn from others' mistakes, but somehow they don't hit home as much as when it stings uh, when it happens to you. So don't be afraid. You're going to make them. Life is full of mistakes. You, you got up to walk, you fell down. You got up to walk, you fell down again. Eventually you started to walk. Same thing with a bike, same thing with investing in real estate. So don't feel like you have to be perfect. That mindset will make it a lot easier to keep moving forward. And what was the fourth thing? I forgot the fourth. Uh, learn to sell and grow your network. Oh yeah, it's third, fourth. Yeah. You know, we don't think we need to sell, but we all are selling. And it doesn't mean you're, too, you know, and selling, selling is not trying to get somebody to buy something or trying to get an investor. And this is what I teach the people when I'm teaching about syndication. You're not trying to get an investor. You're basically telling a story you believe in and you're just making them aware. You're educating people and you're finding out you want to know what somebody needs. And if you've got what they need, great. If not, somebody else does. That's selling. It's really solving. It's solving a problem for someone else. That's all sales really is. And so we do that. You know, if you go to a seminar, you know, you can go and flip flops and shorts and a, and a muscle shirt, or maybe you throw on a sport coat and some nice pants and shoes because that first impression is a real thing. I tell the doctors, you guys are saying, you say, we don't have to sell our doctors. Well, you walk in the room, your appearance is immediately looked at in the first seven seconds and it makes an impression and it affects the rest of your conversation. So but we're all selling. Sales is not a dirty word. Sales is just helping somebody else. The more people you help, 
the more benefit comes back to you. The universe is pretty fair that way. And build your network. Huge. Robert says your network is your net worth. I personally believe that I probably wasn't smart enough to do whatever I've done. I've just had really, really great partners, great mentors, paid and unpaid. I've had so many people that have been generous to me and try to pay that back. And so the more people that you get to know, the more, again, you find out what you don't know. You find out what options are out there, what opportunities are out there, and opportunities to go help somebody else. If you always, if you go into to networking with what can I get from this interaction, you're not going to do very well, or I don't think it's the way to go. If you go in thinking, what can I give here? It's going to come back to you tenfold. So go meet people. That's why I will go. I'll go to a, I'll get invited to a mastermind. I just, I just got back from a four trip thing that was like three weeks long and it was four masterminds. And it was a bit of a trek, but I met people that were just fascinating. And again, it probably changed the trajectory of what I'm going to do just by stepping out and doing something that's a little uncomfortable, being willing to meet somebody else, offering, what can I do for you? And again, it always comes back in multiples. Yeah, that's great. That, that is all great advice. The one thing about the seminars, you know, we had a discussion in our infielder forum about how to attend a seminar. Like, where do you go? What do you do? And just like you said, one of the people said, you know, don't go to all of the seminars. Stand in the hallways and meet some people because you're going to get as much or more out of the networking and connections that you make as you will someone standing on a stage and telling you something. And, and I thought that was pretty powerful because you, you, you had the same, same sort of comment. 100%. So you also said, going back to your book, that you need to make money your servant and not your master. And I think that is, that is a great way to say that. Can you explain what you mean by that? Yeah. Money's awesome. It's the best employee I've ever had. No salary, no benefits, don't need to be off, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I love my employees. We're all family. But if money is your master, that means that you can't do anything else until you acquire it. It's basically guiding your life. And, you know, and it's, and it is, that's the way a lot of the world works. You know, we're blessed to be sitting here talking together, but there are people that are out there struggling and trying to find money and money, money and survival is their master. You get beyond that, you know, we have that Maslow's triangle where we've got survival, then comfort, and then freedom, and then self-actualization. That's my triangle. I cut out one of Maslow's deals. But, um, you know, when you get to that comfort level, you know, if you want freedom, if you just think about the money, it just, it can work. It just doesn't seem to work as well. Have you ever had, a, I've had young people come to me and say, I want to have X amount of net worth by this amount of time. And I'll typically just ask them why. And, you know, they, sometimes they can, because that'd be cool. Cause I want, you know, I want so-and-so to know that I had that much money, but you know, you have to have a, a reason. And so if you make more of a purpose, your master and allow money to become your servant, It'll work for you 24 hours a day. It'll make babies for you, and those babies will go to work. So that's just a, it's a metaphor, of course, for passive income. And once you get it going, it can go forever if you set it up right. So it's a wonderful feeling to just check the mailbox or these days check your account because everything's direct deposit. Yeah, no, it, it is a wonderful feeling. And you know, you're talking about net worth. Again, you've said cash flow is more important than net worth. Why is that? Why is cash flow more important than your net worth? Yeah, I, I try to balance both sides. Great to have both. And they, they often will tend to go with each other. But, you know, if you have a you know, have a net worth of $10 million and a cash flow of $10,000 a year, it's going to be hard to buy groceries. And that, I mean, those are extremes for sure. But if given the choice to have one, 
you get give Tom Burns a choice to have one. I'll take the cash flow because with that cash flow, if it matches my expenses, I'm free to do what I want. And again, what I want could be to search for another business or investment or whatever to increase that cash flow or increase that net worth. If I have a big net worth, but I don't have enough cash flow to cover my expenses, then money is still a bit my master. And I'm having to I'm having to spend my time with that master rather than my life where I'd rather be spending it. So they do tend to go with each other. But that sort of the point was, if you're just starting out, don't concern so much with net worth. Think about that passive income. Is that's going to free you? And once you're free, then the you know sky's the limit. Right, and and then velocity of money. That's maybe making one dollar work in two different ways, or you know recycling your money. Can you talk a little bit about the velocity of money to help in your cash flow? Yeah, you want to try to keep it moving, and you know, and, and debt is one of the ways to do that. At least for now, that's kind of where we've been since about the 1950s. We discovered debt, and that that's a, it's a debt is debt is wealth right now. The proper debt. Good debt, you know, debt that somebody else is paying, such as renters and tenants and things like that. And so debt's one way. And it was also an illusion to, you don't want to have, it's good to have cash or cash, some sort of cash or cash equivalent for emergencies or for opportunities. But you want to try to keep that cash at least keeping up with inflation. It's pretty high right now. So the point was rather than just set it in a bank and let it, let it lose seven to 10% of its value these days. Try to put it into something that's reasonably liquid that you can uh, access if you need and still have those opportunities, but you're keeping up with inflation. That just keeps the velocity going. And there's there's ways to do that now. There's debt funds and certain short-term T-bills and things like that you can use. So just sitting on cash, while some of the radio pundits will say, have that, you know, have that uh, backstop, not bad advice, just not the best velocity. And I, I'll tell you, one thing is like, if you own a home, it's... The best velocity of your money is to have a nice 30-year low interest rate loan. Then you can use the rest of that money for your investments to create your passive income. As I say that, the other side of the mouth will tell you that I paid my house off. So sometimes emotions will trump what's a what's a better velocity. But for, that made Tom Burns feel better. Might make some other people feel better. But you do want to try to keep it moving. If money sits, it gets stagnant and gets a little smelly. And I think that is super important. What you said right there is sometimes you make financial decisions that are not the smartest financial decision, but it it helps you sleep at night. And for somebody, it might be paying off your house. For other people, it could be something completely different where, yeah, it's better if you don't pay off your house because then you can use that money and invest it somewhere and make more money. But if paying off your house makes you comfortable, let you sleep at night, then that's okay. And and that's why everybody's financial situation has to be different and you have to do what's comfortable for you. So I really like the way you said that. So I wanted to talk about you in 2008, you had some challenges, right? I mean, everybody did. What did that teach you? And how do you apply that today when it seems like for a few years, everything has been at prices that we thought it can't keep going up, right? We're done. The bubble you know, the all asset bubble or whatever you want to call it, assets are expensive. But if you keep your money on the sidelines in the last five years, you would have missed out. So does 2008 help you figure out what to do in 2022? It helped me, but it didn't give me the answers, I could tell you. So the, the story in 2008, just, you know, I was, I could see something coming. I actually still had some stocks back then. And that was my only good stock move in my entire career was I pulled my money out before the stock market went down. So I gloated the whole time, right? 
Went down to 6,700. I gloated as it went up to 33,000. Never put money back in. But I looked at my holdings and I could tell what was probably going to go flat, but I was certain that one thing was going to be okay. And sure enough, that one thing was not okay. Something related, but not directly related to the recession pulled that out. So I ended up having to lend another entity $20,000 a month for the next eight years. That was fun. And the good news is it never got paid back, but uh, that's another story. So I was, so everything went flat, didn't lose any of the real estate. That's the beauty of real estate. It, it, it held its head, but didn't cash flow for me or cash flowed low, I should say. And I had some business dealings where we had temporary debt out there, high debt, hard money debt, and they were three or four month projects. And those three or four month projects went to long term. And there I was uh, looking at 18% interest payments on those. And so I had to go to a successive number of banks and get a bunch of lines of credit at about four or 5% probably at the time, took out arbitrage, took out the 18%. And it took me several years to pay off all those lines of credit. So in essence, the uh, the result was I missed the first couple of years of the real estate sale after the recession. It's just the way it goes. But all those investors I paid off, by the way, I paid them off full their principal with interest, but they're all still investors now. You know, they're, they're long-term investors. So there's always benefit there. So as I look back at that, I'm looking at what's coming. You know, people ask me, when do you think the recession's going to happen? And I tell them confidently 2017, because that's when I thought things were going to happen. So it shows that I don't have a very good crystal ball. But my my question to myself is I thought I had everything pretty much figured out in the last one, still missed something. And my question to myself now is, what am I going to miss this time? Trying to get up to 30,000 feet and look, because, you know, there's a quote from somebody that says things that things that have never happened before happen all the time. And I don't know what's going to happen in this next, whenever this next turn down is, it's going to be something that probably none of us were expecting. So it's helped me to get some perspective, try to dig the foxhole deep enough to survive, but also enough perspective to know that I'm probably going to miss something. So you don't want to stick your neck out too far when you're in this kind of environment. Yeah. I, I think, you know, what am I going to miss this time? If that's how you're looking at it, I think that just kind of balances you, right? Because I worry about, you know, like you said, you don't want to keep too much cash in the bank, but you don't want to invest in an asset that's at the peak and either has to be a balance there. And if you're always looking for the thing that you might have missed, I think that's a that's a good way to look at things. And, you know, you talked about in your book, finding your niche, right? Everyone's got to find their niche. So how does a person think of that? How do I find my niche? Or how do I start exploration? Because I think like your niche will almost find you. But how do you start the process of exploring to get there? You know what I'm trying to ask? Yeah, so yeah, and you kind of answered the question. I actually had a, had a coaching call this morning with one of my guys, and yeah, it was his question. He was looking for his niche. You know, he's got to pick, you know, it was in real estate. I've got to pick self-storage or multifamily. You know, I sort of turned it around and said, you know, one, I would keep your mind open, and I'll roll in a bunch of things here. I would keep up with the networking. The more people you meet, the more you'll find what other niches are out there. And what I essentially ended up talking to him about was what you just said. As I said, you know, there are times when your niche will find you and it might not be what you expect, but you'll just connect up with just the right person. And that'll give you the, the excitement and the, the want to to go learn about that niche. It'll give you some purpose. You know, when you really, if you're just searching for something, you know, real estate's fun, but it's not near as exciting as going on vacation or hanging out with cool people. Right. It's great. It's a great vehicle. 
but I'm not in love with any of my buildings. I'm in love with, you know, my next trip that I'm taking and my family and that sort of thing. So the niche itself is certainly is important. Once it finds you or you find the one that you really, that you really match with, then go deep because it's really helpful. When things turn bad, people want to look to experts, people that have got some deep experience with a certain niche. It gives you that vision where you can see farther down the road if you really understand what's going on. And that helps, especially in times like now, when you can at least try to look farther down the road. So the short answer would be continue to network and be open. Yeah, that's the thing, right? You got to keep expanding your network, you know, talking to people that are smarter than you and just keep out there and, and you'll find it. So in our group, Left Field Investors and, and in the infield, we, we talk a lot. I mean, the main thing I think people join our group and we talk about is how do you find a good sponsor? But we've never really asked the question that, that you talk about in your book, which is what makes a good sponsor? So, you know, we have all kinds of ways to find them, I think. But how do we know we've found a good sponsor? What makes someone a good sponsor? You bet. You'll never know 100% for sure until you go through an investment with them. But simplest way is probably what you've, you've talked about in your group is that the easiest way is to, you know, Jim, if you say, Tom, yeah, if you and I are good friends, we've been friends for a long time. You say, look, I've got this friend, Joe's got a really good deal. He's a solid guy. He's been doing this for a bunch of years. I'm invested with him. That's one way. Talk to your friends who have had successful investments with successful sponsors that have got nice long track records. Not every sponsor can have a long track record because everybody has a first day, right? So, but if you're looking for that, find somebody that you know, it's the easiest way. It, and that's coming again. It's going to come from your network. So, and then other ways, you know, you'll, you'll meet them. You can watch, see what they do. I, I tend to like to talk to people if, if it's going to be a sponsor I'm going to invest with. I, I act, although I sponsor a lot of investments myself, and that's most of what I do. I still invest with others, but it's usually if it's somebody you introduced me to or somebody I've known for five years or something like that. What makes them good? The main thing is the first thing on their mind is how can I make my investors money? How do I take care of my investors? I saw a deal last night where the numbers were great. They were fantastic, actually. And it was split up to where uh, once profits started coming in, it was 20% to the investor and 80% to the sponsor, with the sponsor putting in no money. I didn't like the structure of that deal. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you want somebody, you would like to see somebody that takes care of their investors first. Maybe there's a preferred return. That gets paid first, and maybe there's a split after. The step beyond that is, Give the investor back all their money. They're giving you all the money, and you could still have your money in as part of a limited partner, but give the investors back all their money. Once you're playing with house money, then you can split it up, whatever percentage or fraction you wish. But if you take care of the investors first, it's, number one, the right thing to do. Number two, they might be an investor again and again and again. You know, we have investors been with us for 20 years. And you know how they do it? Now we just say, hey, we got a deal, and they say, I'm in. You know, they don't even want to see the paperwork because they know what we do, right? So make sure they're thinking about the investors. Look at the splits. Make sure that look at the waterfall, which is a thing that's in the PPM. It'll show the waterfall. It'll say 100% of the money first goes to pay the preferred return. Next, 100% of the money goes to pay back investor capital. Then, you know, then it starts the splits. That's the main thing. Track record helps, as I mentioned. If they don't have a track record, I would make sure you know them well, know their character, know someone who knows them well. And then you have to do a, a bit more due diligence on the asset and the investment itself. And hopefully you've got the, the knowledge base to be able to do that. 
and you know, sometimes when it's a first time, that that sometimes translate into a higher split for the investor because they're taking a risk on a new person. You know, the rest is, you know, again, I keep talking track record. Track record is, is so huge. You know, look back at previous returns. Past performance certainly doesn't doesn't guarantee future. But that's the main thing. You want to know that your risk, your risk is, you know, that the guy's not named Bernie Madoff. You know, you want to know that your risk is not the sponsor. The risk is, it's market risk. And then, you know, you can look at their due diligence. You can do your own. Most of the time, if you trust a sponsor, you're, you're going to look at the due diligence and trust it because who do we really invest with? There's a lot of great deals out there. We invest with people. So probably didn't answer the question fully, but that's the two main things. Yeah, no, I think that the risk, you don't want the risk to be the sponsor. That says it all, right? I mean, that is, couldn't say it better myself. That is perfect. You don't want the risk to be the sponsor. And I also, you know, we all want to have that sponsor that we trust so much that we don't have to look at the deal, right? You're not going to get there on the first one, but man, on your fifth, sixth, tenth deal, you shouldn't have to look at it. You should just say, yeah, I'm in, right? I love that. That's a great feeling. I can tell you, I have a friend who does good stuff and he sent me a text, said, hey, put 100K into my deal, it'll be good for you. And I just I just texted back, okay. That was it. That was the sales process because I trust him so much. It's like, all right, you need, you want me to be in? There's a reason for that. That happens, and it's a great feeling, and it's a great marriage. Yeah, and, and that, that just brings it back to what we were talking about at the beginning, you know, building your network, attending seminars, meeting people. It all comes around and ends up in a relationship like that where you can send someone 100 grand just on a text because you know they're putting you in a good deal. That is, that is where we all want to get to eventually, so I, I love that. Yeah, it's, it's all coming back to network, isn't it? That's where you find the sponsors, the niches, the deals. You find everything. It's true. It's people. You know, this is not wealth creation. Well, I should say wealth wealth creation slash life creation is not a, you know, it's not zeros and ones. It's a people business. It's a relationship business. And that's the fun part of it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this has been great. I do want to ask you one question that has nothing to do with real estate before we get to my final question. And because I love to ski, I want to know how orthopedic surgeon in Texas gets to be the U.S. ski team doctor. You didn't know it snowed all the time in Austin, Texas? <laughs> I did not. I think I have more ski coats than anybody in the city. I did my training. I was an orthopedic surgeon and a sports medicine specialist. So I did my training in Vail, Colorado with a guy named Dick Stedman, who is the man. He's the guy who set up ski medicine. And so spent my year there, got attached to the ski team. And then I went out to, in 1991, I was a doctor for the Olympic Training Center at Lake Placid. And it was there that the freestyle guys were there. Those are the guys that jump up. If you've seen them, they jump up and do flips on the snow. Oh, yeah. I spent enough time with them. I actually trained with them and qualified to jump. And so... Uh, oh, my gosh. I was young and athletic at the time. And so I've been with those guys for 30 years now and travel all over the world. And so airplanes will get you anywhere. So I, I don't need to be on skis in Austin, but it's a, it's a real honor. And it's a real great way to see the world. Yeah, that's phenomenal. I just had to ask that question. That, that's great. So the last question I always ask, is I know you're a you read a lot of books, but hopefully you're a you listen to some podcasts. What is a great podcast that that you like to listen to? You know, I'm going to give you two just because one's a daily thing. It's Darren Hardy. I listen to Darren daily. You know, it's three to five minutes. There's always something good there. You can pick up good ideas, and it's uh, it's just a nice way to start the day. And then if I really want a nice long, thoughtful conversation, I listen to Ed Milet. Excellent. 
And if listeners want to get in touch with you or, or learn more about Rich Life and, and all the things you do, what's the best way they can do that? Yeah, you bet. They can email me. Tom, this is kind of this is going to sound a little crazy. You can email me at tom at richdoctor.com. We haven't switched things over yet. If they want to head to the and want some stuff that might help them, you can go to rich.life forward slash toolkit. And there's some stuff that, that's all free. It's just things that have helped me over the last 30 years. And that'll connect you with me as well. That's great. We'll put that in the show notes. And I can't recommend your book enough, Why Doctors Don't Get Rich. And all you need to do is whatever your profession is, substitute that in for doctors and everything will apply. It was a fantastic read. I really appreciate you being on the show and um, you know, ho- hope we can connect again soon. You bet, Jim. Thanks a ton. We would like to introduce one of our trusted partners, Ashcroft Capital, to the left field investors community. At Ashcroft, They focus on capital preservation while still having upside potential through their value-add funds. They are proud to announce their second fund, the Ashcroft Value-Add Fund 2, is now open to investors. The Ashcroft Value-Add Fund 2 has been created with one singular purpose in mind, to reduce risk to investors. The Ashcroft Value-Add Fund 2 will continue to use the same conservative business plan Ashcroft was founded with acquiring quality multifamily assets and offering value-add opportunity in strong performing markets throughout the country. To learn more about Ashcroft Capital's investment criteria or about the markets and properties they are targeting, please download their latest AVAF2 Frequently Asked Questions Guide at ashcroftcapital.com slash leftfield. That's ashcroftcapital.com slash leftfield. I really, really enjoyed that episode. And I really enjoyed his book. I thought it was a great read. You don't have to be a doctor to get the lessons out of it. And that's why I kept referencing that book, because I got so many great nuggets out of it. And then talking to Tom, man, I got a ton of one-liners that just really had an impact on me. Money is the currency that buys freedom. That's true. You know, money isn't everything. But if you can build wealth, you can give yourself freedom and then you can live the life you want to live. So I really thought that was powerful. Money is the currency that buys freedom. Education is a hedge against risk. Absolutely, it doesn't have to be a college education, a master's degree or a medical degree. It can be going to a networking event and learning something. It's a hedge against risk. The more you know, the more secure you're gonna be in your investments or in your life generally. Mistakes, right? We all make them. Mistakes are okay unless you're a surgeon, right? You don't want to cut five times before you get the right spot. And so the pivot he, uh, Tom had to make in real estate and his investing was it's okay to make mistakes. That's how you learn. Obviously, as a surgeon, you don't want to make those mistakes. But when you're doing investing, mistakes, that the best lessons I've had are from the losses that I've had. The money lost is a lesson learned. So I really liked how he said that. And, you know, talking about selling. Everyone has to sell. You don't have to act like a salesman or a saleswoman. Solve a problem for somebody. That's selling. Sell them that. You're going to solve a problem. You know, then everything changes when you approach it like that. You're not selling them something. You're solving a problem for them. Money is the best employees ever had. You don't have to pay benefits to money. And what he's talking about is having your money work for you, right? While you're sleeping, the money's coming in. Mailbox money, which, as he said, doesn't come in the mailbox anymore. But making your money work for you and money will be the best employee you've ever had. That's fantastic. And talking about 
2022 compared to 2008. And he's thinking about what am I going to miss this time? What am I not looking at? And that opens your mind and allows you to explore other things, right? Because asset prices have been going up, up, up. We all know at some point it's going to stop. Does that mean it's going to crash or it's just going to stop going up so fast or it's just going to plateau? We don't know. But if you're looking for things that you're missing, you might actually find them and be able to prepare and be ready for whatever happens. And that is great advice. And finally, risk or the sponsor should not be the risk, right? So when you're looking for a sponsor to invest in or you're looking at a deal, part of the risk that you're analyzing should not be the sponsor. That should be no risk. You should vet the sponsor, use your network, use your community. We are always talking about the power of community and how that can help you vet, screen, and analyze sponsors. So when you're looking at a deal, make sure that none of the risk lies on the sponsor, meaning you have covered that and you're comfortable with them as much as you can be. So again, I really had a great time talking with Tom. I think he's just got a bunch of pearls of wisdom and he's been through it and he is willing to share and teach and help us all. And so I appreciate him being on the podcast. Uh, I'm hoping he's going to start his own podcast. That would be great to listen to him on a regular basis. So we'll keep track of him. And that is all for this time. We'll see you next time in the left field. Thanks for hanging out in left field with us today. If you're interested in becoming a left fielder, you can find us on the World Wide Web at www.leftfieldinvestors.com or you can send me an email, jim at leftfieldinvestors.com. Thank you for listening to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. If you enjoy the show, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and rate and review the show. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing said on the show should be considered financial advice. Before making any decisions, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by Passive Investing from Left Field and Left Field Investors. Written permissions must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.